Good morning. Great to see you. Welcome to This Is Us. Kelly just said a second ago that, uh, you know, we're a mobile church. That's, that's very true. You know, we've often thought, we, it's been asked many times, are you ever going to have a permanent facility? I don't know. God knows. But I will tell you that this is a very interesting thing. Uh, if, as you read through the Bible, it was, it was people who said, you know what, we want to build a permanent place. We want to build a temple. And God basically said, you know what, I'd rather be in a tabernacle. There's a scripture that says, in God we live and move. So I know it could be great to have a permanent place and not, you know, have to set up and tear down, but God prefers a tabernacle. I'm just saying. I just want you to think about that. I know some of you are really into that. Uh, anyway, uh, this is us. We're talking about harmonizing uh, us today, and I, I want to I say this. First of all, thanks for joining us for, on Grace Live, those of you who are here. Um, you know, we are less than nine months away from right outside these doors that that project is over and the new school is built and apparently it's going to be beautiful. We've seen the plans and the drawings of it and we're going to have a bunch of parking spaces right outside the door. And so I don't want to take a second to thank you for making lemonade out of lemons, you know, with the extra steps, although the extra steps are a good thing, aren't they? It's good to do a lot of do a lot of extra steps. We get healthy that way. Uh, but we are, and nine months or less, going to have a bunch of parking spaces right outside that door, and I just think that is awesome. Anyway, all right, one last uh, little piece of announcement uh, for married couples or people who are, have a significant other thinking about getting married, maybe. Uh, in a month from now, there is a thing called Weekend uh, Remember. It's, it's a conference. It's a conference for married couples, and it is a conference for people who are trying to figure out, do they want to get married? Krista and I are going. We went two years ago. About a dozen couples went with us, about 24 of us. We had an absolute blast. If you would like to go, you're probably going to need to sign up this week because it's going to sell out. It usually does. So... There's a shout out to that. Now, here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how do you harmonize two very different people? How do you harmonize two very different perspectives? How do you harmonize when you have somebody that is just absolutely annoys you? It's going to be a challenging message, going to be a difficult message today. And I want to say a disclaimer right up front. There are some relationships that you actually have to walk away from, okay? That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about relationships that you can salvage, relationships that you can look at in a different way. All right. So the video I sent this week, and if you're still not getting the videos and you want to get the videos, the steps are on the screen or the steps are on the back of the bulletin, but here's the video this week, right? Kate and Madison, two incredibly different people, two people who, to their own admission, they just greatly annoy each other. And the clip that I showed you, they're in support group and they're there to support each other, right? They're in a group of about a dozen people. They're there to support it and they get in a fight in the support group because they find each other so obnoxious. And the fight carries over out into the parking lot and then the parking lot getting ready to get in their cars and they're yelling and screaming at each other. It's just a bad scene. They get in their cars, they back up and accidentally they ram into each other and out of that accident develops a friendship. Can you believe it? Kate and Madison, here's my question for you today. Who's your Madison in your life? Who is your Madison? Who is that person that challenges you and annoys you and frustrates you? A person who has a very different position or personality uh, from you? Somebody. This is going to be a challenging message to actually live out what Romans chapter 12 talks about. The, the book of Romans obviously is written to the city of Rome. Rome is very much like Washington, D.C., right? It was the most powerful city on the face of the earth to the most powerful nation. It was Rome, just like Washington, D.C. And it was very, very diverse. There was all kinds of people 
who had differing opinions of each other. There were people in that city who didn't want to be there. Some of you might be here today and say, you know, I don't want to be in this city either. Well, that was Rome. Rome was that kind of place, a very difficult place to be, a very diverse place to be. And this is what I want to say about diversity. You know, a lot of times we'd love to say the word diversity. I want to just clarify the word diversity here for a second for you, the way I'm talking about it, the way Romans 12 is talking about it, how to make harmony out of things that are very different. Diversity means there's differences, and those differences are annoying. All right, I want to make case in point. People say to me all the time, oh my gosh, Grace Community Church is so diverse. It's so diverse. How did you ever get to be so diverse? I mean, how'd you do that? And they look at me like I had something to do with it, right? How'd you get to be so diverse? Here's the thing. They say, you know, I've been to a lot of churches. I've never seen, you know, look, I have lived in this this county my entire life. I grew up right down the street. My neighborhood was the United Nations. The diversity in this church did nothing to challenge me. Nothing. Because it's everything I'm used to. There's no challenge. So I want to clarify what I'm talking about diversity. Diversity is the things that challenge you. That's diversity. The differences in life and the differences in people and the differences in opinion, that's the diversity that I am talking about this morning. How can we live in harmony? So here's the first thing to write down. Value, don't vilify diversity. Value, don't vilify. You need to look at situations and people who have very different viewpoints, who frustrate you and all of those things that come along with that, that cause the heated conversations and the blood pressure to rise. And you say, you know what? There's value here. Somewhere there's value here. I might not feel it. I might not see it at this point. But there is value here somewhere. This is the diversity that I am speaking about. I was um, reading a book some time ago by a professor at Yale. And he had grown up in Africa, spent most of his entire uh, life in Africa, and then was invited to be a professor at Yale. He was at one point uh, a Muslim and he converted to Christianity uh, and now he finds himself here and he's there amongst all the super smart people at Yale and diversity is a big deal there. They talk about diversity a lot. Of course, he's on the faculty. They talk about that and he said, here's what he noticed. He noticed that people would, like, we embrace you. We embrace your culture from Africa. We embrace this. We think it's wonderful. We love your food. We love your clothing. We love your culture. It's absolutely awesome. But he says this. He says kind of the very heartbeat, and if you've ever been to Africa, and I'll share my story of being in Africa in just a moment, he said a very important part of, uh, of being from Africa is the spirit world. Like, we, 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 talk about, we talk about God, and we talk about an evil spirit, and we battle we don't bat, the Bible says we don't battle flesh and blood, we battle spirits and principalities. And he says, you start talking about that and sophisticated people are like, whoa, oh, no, no. We don't value that diversity. He said, like, it was limited diversity. Now, I experienced that myself when I was too young to even know what the heck was going on. I was in my early 20s. I was fresh out of Bible college. I was invited to speak at a conference in Nigeria. Here I am in Nigeria, and there was thousands of people at this conference, and I didn't understand all that stuff that I, that, that I had just told you. I didn't know anything. I was there and speaking a message. I had to speak through an interpreter. And I said, why did I have to speak through an interpreter? Because I, I, I asked, and you said that you guys speak English. He said, we do. I'm like, well, I thought I spoke English. So that was my first confusion. 
But I got up there. This guy was fantastic. Like, he's the best interpreter that has ever existed in the history of the world. He was great. And you know how you know that? It's because I know, I know the quality of message that I'm preaching, and people were reacting in a much bigger way when he would interpret it. It was like, <laughs> kaboom. I just, he, was, he, was fun- he was fantastic. It was great. And somehow along that line, I just innocently got into this story, and I talked, I guess, maybe I was talking about Ephesians and the battle and the spirit and blah, blah, blah. And I don't often talk about that. And when I do talk about it here, I get the feeling from some sophisticated people, hey, man, we know we don't do that here, much like Lama Sana talks about up at Yale. But I started talking about there in Nigeria, and I told this story. I told this goofy little story that I heard as a kid as a way of illustration. Here it is. There's this new kid, small kid, moves into a new neighborhood. He got a little tiny dog, little tiny dog. Like the dog is like one of the little hot dog dogs. He's that, that, that high off the ground. And there's a bully on the next block. And the bully said to, uh, to everybody in the neighborhood, nobody comes down my street. Like no other kid is allowed to. And the bully, he's big, big guy. He's got a big, huge dog. Nobody come, and everybody's afraid of the bully. So nobody's down the street. Well, this kid's new. And so all of a sudden, one day, he just starts marching down the street. And the bully sees him. He's like... You better back up. I'm going to get you. You better back up. Well, it doesn't phase the little kid at all. He's marching on with this little tiny miniature dog all the way up to the bully. And the bully says, well, that's it. Life's over for you. And he looks down at his dog. I don't know what the dog's name, but whatever. He says something to the dog. Get him. Sick him. And the dog gets ready to lurch at the little dog. And all of a sudden, the little dog just like springs up and bites the big dog's head off. And the bully's like, what in the what? He said, what kind of dog is that? He said, well, before I cut his tail off and painted him yellow, he was a crocodile. <laughs> now, I told that stupid little story, and the crowd went nuts after the interpreter interpreted. The crowd went absolutely nuts. It's like the forces of good and the forces of evil. Ah, you know, it's this victory. And the interpreter told me after I was done that the place was just so alive, he said, oh, my gosh, you have stirred up the hornet's nest tonight. I what? What did I do? You know, he said, I want to take you to your room. They had this big room over to the side and they were praying for people and casting out evil spirits. And there was yelling and screaming and sweat and the place was packed. He said, you want to go in? And I said, no, (laughs) no, I'm not even sure what's going on. And I don't want to, I don't want to go in. Here's the thing. Things are diversity means that you are trying to see the value in the differences of other people, particularly those things that make you really uncomfortable. Now that's diversity. Diversity is not you climbing in something that, oh, I just feel comfortable here. This is good. I'm so diverse. That's not diversity. Diversity is the Madison in your life that challenges you. Now you have somebody in your head right now, or you have a situation in your head. There's diversity. Are you willing to go after that? Because Romans 12 is all about, it's all the scholars agree. Romans 12 is the summary of what it means to live out the Christian life. This is what it means. The verses I'm about ready to read you about loving people who are very, very different from you, who hold different opinions and different personalities, different positions. They're even of a different political party. It's very, very difficult. Let me read to you. I want you to think about this. As I read Romans 12 in these verses, I just don't want you to think about, oh yeah, I just want to embrace people. They're different from me, but I have no, it's no challenge to embrace them. No, get rid of that. I want you to think about the person who's the most challenging for you to embrace as I read these, because here's what it means to live out the Christian life. Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. It must be sincere. You know what that means? Love must not be nice. 
says lust it means genuine, not hypocritical. How many times have you seen, you've never done this, but you've seen somebody do this. How many times have you seen somebody, you know they can't stand the other person, and they're all nice and polite to them, and they turn, and then they like roll their eyes, or they're grits, ha, ha, you know what I'm saying? Because it's not, what it says is actually something needs to, like the power of Christ needs to work so deep down in our hearts that actually we're not just being nice, we're being genuine. We genuinely value them. Try that on for size. Very difficult. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another, even those who are very, very different for you. Be devoted to them. Honor others who are different to you. Above yourselves. Never. And I love this. Verse 11, like right in the middle of Romans 12. Never be lacking zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Studies have shown that what we see here and what's laid out for us in Romans chapter 12, that if you start with Christ in a clear understanding of who he is, and then you begin to serve other people, and then you begin to deal with other people in community who are far different from you, that that is, studies show this, that that is the formula for spiritual fire and growth in your life, that you begin to move, that you begin to take your next step closer to God. Right in here. 50% of people who go to church, no, 100% of the people who go to church all the time, they say 50% of their life, their spiritual life is actually dealing with apathy or lukewarmness. Most of us are here this morning because we know, how can I get that spiritual fire? That's what the studies show us. Well, here it is. Here's how you do it. You actually apply what Romans chapter 12 is telling us. It's absolutely fascinating. This is how we grow, grow closer to Christ. Verse number 12, be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. That means you're gonna, there's going to be affliction. Faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. This is not easy to do. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who live. And then here's our verse, verse number 16. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. Make harmony. Make lemonade out of lemons. You have a bitter situation, make it sweet somehow by valuing other people. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I want to caution you because I don't want your mind immediately going and say, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm an Arlingtonian. This is one of the wealthiest counties in America. But you know what? You know what? I'm so humble. I'm willing to associate with people who are of a lower economic status than I. Great. That's not what we're talking about here. There is somebody in this city. There is somebody in your life. There's somebody maybe in your home or your neighborhood or your place of work that has a position, a stance, a belief, a behavior that you have a low opinion of. Do you know what I'm speaking of? Make friends with that person. Because that's what that's talking about. Because it's really, really hard to do. And where are we going to get the power to do that? Let's continue reading. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you know how hard that is to do? Are you serious? That is a big, big challenge. You know, you know what? I always pray. I say, God, give me illustrations that I could, you know, make it real when I'm trying to share in these messages. Could you give me illustrations? And God is so gracious. He recently gave me an illustration. I prefer these illustrations actually to happen to you and you tell me about them because that's just much easier for me. And let me tell you what God blessed me with just recently. I was at a wedding just recently and um, there's a bunch of people there that I knew. 
Uh, and I knew that two people were going to be at the wedding. They're a couple. And I knew they did not like me. I know that's shocking. It's going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for you to think, you know, to... Ex- but yes. So there was a big group of people. And uh, so it, when I came in the door, it was natural, large, very large group of adults all there. And here, right here on this side over here was the two people. And out of the two, one really didn't like me. Uh, and so the other one uh, stuck their hand out and I called them by name and shook their hand. But I had to reach across the person here. Right? And I could feel the tension. And when I did, it was all, a lot of people looking. So I just did the natural, polite thing. And I called them by name and stuck my hand out. And when I did, they just went, turned their back on me. Man, I drugged them out back and I just beat them. <laughs> no. Uh, I, you know what I said? I said, there's value here. <laughs> I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it. There's value here. And here's what... And again, this is why I asked for the illustrations to come from you and not from me, because it's difficult. But, but here's the thing. There are people that are very different from us, uh, that we are at odds with. And what we're being called to here is extremely challenging to do. Very challenging to do. But God will give us the strength and power to do it. Let's finish this out. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. That's what I was thinking about when that happened to me. The wedding. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I want to talk about the burning coals for a second. Because some of you are like, man, this loving your enemy and serving your enemy and being kind to people who are so different and frustrating and annoying to you, this is really hard. But that section about the burning coals on the head, I like that. That sounds good. Could we talk about that just a little bit more? So, you know, it's like, okay. So I, let me just address this. Where is that coming from? What does that mean? It means, ah, oh, yeah, somehow you're going to get them. What it actually means is that your love and your kindness and, and, and your reaching out to that person and all of that that you have expressed in a polite and kind and way to this other person, that eventually your kindness will win them over. And so culturally speaking, the burning coals on the head, it's a cultural phrase that simply means they will come to a point that they'll have a change of opinion that somehow there'll be reconciliation out of the relationship after your repeated acts of love and patience and kindness to this person. That's what it actually means. Now, let me say this. Jesus said in a famous verse, Matthew 28, his last words in the Gospel of Matthew, this letter that we have that we call Matthew, uh, he says these words. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. And then he says of what? All nations. All nations. When Jesus says these things, these things actually mean something. That means that Jesus Christ values diversity in a big way. He didn't say, I need you to stay here. I need you to deal with just a certain type of people. It's not for some people. It's actually for all people. And when you get into the all people, that's where the problem is. And as I've said many times, they decided not to go. They didn't go to all nations because what we like to do is stay with what we're comfortable with. If we are going to be people of true diversity and people who grow and follow Christ where he's leading, we actually have to push ourselves to do so because it's not going to come natural. We're going to actually have to follow the spirit of Christ working in our lives to do this. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen for them, and it's not going to happen for us. Those things that challenge us. Here's the truth about Christianity. Christianity is a culturally inclusive movement. Matter of fact, everybody, Christianity is the most diverse 
institution on the face of the planet. This is not a cut in any way whatsoever. Please don't, mis- don't, don't misread me. I just want to talk about the five great religions of the world, the five biggest religions of the world. If you look at them and where people are who are followers of those religions, you will see geographically that the bulk of the followers are all somewhere geographically near the creation or where the start is of that religion. It's that way with Judaism. It's that way with Hinduism. It's that way with Islam. It's that way with Buddhism. But it is not that way with Christianity, and that simply means something, that Christ is calling us to press out, to cross the line to people who are culturally different from us or people who are just plain and simple, very, very different from us. This is what Jesus Christ did. Jesus liked people who weren't anything like Jesus. Jesus never stayed in a closet by himself and hung out with people who were just like him. He, Jesus liked and loved people, anything like him, and they liked him right back. And this is what it means to follow Christ. To follow Christ means we are crossing those lines, pushing into those people who are so different. The Madisons of the world who we find extremely, extremely annoying. So it is a fact. Christianity is the most, it's the, it's the first and only global religion of our world. And all that means something to us in our understanding of exactly who Jesus Christ is. The the majority of followers of Jesus are in Africa, South America, and China. That's pretty much spread all around the globe and then everything in between. But those are the three major places geographically where people follow Christ. It is a culturally diverse movement, which means that we need to follow Christ. Rome was very diverse, and he's asking them in Rome to do these things right, to follow him. Okay, so when you get to Revelation 7, last book that we have that's in the Bible, there's this little snapshot of here's what heaven looks like. And this is what it says heaven looks like. There was before me a great multitude that no one could count. And then what does it say? They're from every nation. They're from every tribe. They're from every people, every language, and they're standing before the throne of God. God is really in to diversity. And somehow that has to play out in our lives, that I have to be willing to push beyond those people who I find repulsive. And this is what it means to follow Christ. So here's the second fill in the blank. You have to see the value in our differences. Look, you're, you're, you're never going to be able to follow Christ into these situations unless you do as Jesus did to see the value. Jesus saw the value in all kinds of people, people that I wouldn't and you wouldn't see value in. He saw value in. And if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, the eyes of Christ, I have to walk into these very frustrating situations where people are very different from me, for people who hold opinions or whatever you want. To, and I have to say, you know what? There's value here. Somehow there's value here. In our homes... When there's frustration, there's value here. In the place of work, in our neighborhood, wherever it might be, there is value here. We have to see the value. So I want to I give you a couple steps here. Before I do that, I'll say this. Last week, I was out at the hospitality uh, table. I was like grabbing something from the hospitality, and I looked up, and here was this wonderful family, and they were is a father and a mother and a son, and they were all decked out in Dallas Cowboys jackets. Like they were just... They were just primed and ready to go, all right? Now, that, that's an immediate offense to me. <laughs> but I'm thinking about this message, and I said to myself, there's value here. 
So I don't see it right now, but there's value here. So here's, here's what we're going to do. Uh, a number of weeks ago, we had a, a Jersey Sunday, if you might remember, Jersey Sunday. And just, to, just a matter of stats, the truth, the, the, the Redskin team won, like by far, like crushed every other team, which was awesome. God was really in that moment. And so what we said is that we were going to have a huge party. And this is what I want to extend to you. So all the Redskin fans are invited, of course. I am inviting all the Cowboys fans today. Right to join us at Ireland's Four Courts at four o'clock. It's right by the Courthouse Metro. We've got a room that we reserve. We've bought a ton of appetizers. If you're a Redskin or Cowboys fan, come, we're going to come together. We're, hopefully, we're not going to fight. We're going to come together. We're going to put this message in practice. We're going to try to see value in each other. We might hold hands and pray that we would see value in each other, but we're going to watch the game, and no matter what happens, we're going to try to celebrate. So here's four points that are going to help us to do this. First of all, you have to start with gratitude. And what I mean by gratitude is in our relationship with God. We must, everybody, get off on the right foot when it becomes when it comes to our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And, and, and our relationship with Christ begins with gratitude. It does not begin with fear. And it does not begin with me. And it does not begin with you. It always begins with Jesus. Now, you might say, okay, okay, this is really important. This is actually really important. Because what Romans 12 and all the scholars that I've read, they're pretty much they're total agreement about this. That Romans 1 to 11, as I've been saying, those chapters are all about our doctrines and what we really believe. And then you get to the beginning of Romans 12, verse 1, it says, now therefore, therefore what? Everything that I've read leads me to this in view of God's mercy. And they all agree with this, that what is being said is, is that our reaction to who Jesus is and what he has done and all the beliefs about it should bring us to a place of gratitude and of thankfulness. Some of us, I fear maybe even the majority of us in this room, as I talk to people, that our starting point with Jesus Christ is a starting point of fear, not gratitude. It's like, hey, you need Jesus so you can escape what? So you can escape hell. Well, I don't want to go to hell. Well, I don't want to burn in hell. Okay, give me Jesus in my life. Where did I start? I started with fear. I didn't start with thankfulness, and I have a total misunderstanding of Jesus. Or, hey, you need to follow Jesus Christ. Well, I'm thinking about it, but you know what? I have to give up so many things, and I don't want to really give up those things. Maybe one day when my life slows down and I want to give up, so I'm done with all that stuff, then I will. Wrong starting point. If we have a correct understanding of Jesus Christ, then what it brings us to that correct understanding is, I am so thankful. The Bible says it's, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness. So unless I start, unless I start at a pace of gratitude and thank, if I start in, you know, it, fall, all right? So the corn mazes. Anybody been to the corn mazes here? We used to take our kids to the corn mazes, right? You'd run around the corn mazes. We didn't really like the corn maze a lot because the kids would always run away from us. We didn't know where they were. We couldn't see over the maze. We freaked out, all right? So, but we would do it. Here's what I noticed about the maze. If you start going down the wrong track, you get yourself in the wrong, you, you have to go all the way back. You got to start out on the wrong, you got to start on the right track in order to get to the right place. It's the same thing that I'm saying here. If we are starting out of a place of fear, oh, I want to escape hellfire, I'm buying fire insurance, I'm taking Jesus as my Savior. Woo-hoo. If that is the starting point and it's not thankfulness. See, the Bible says the message of Jesus Christ is gospel, which means good news. If it is anything else other than good news to you, You've had a misunderstanding. You had a fundamental misunderstanding of Jesus, and it's going to mess up all your relationships with people. Because this relationship starts going right and understanding right, and then this relationship starts having a chance to go right. 
That is the message that we find in the Bible. So I ask you, where did you begin your relationship with Christ? Did you begin out of, hey, looking at yourself and saying, oh, I, I have to give up and I have to change all this? Because the relationship begins by looking at all that he has done. Or to begin the relationship by saying, oh my goodness, I'm so afraid, so I'm going to receive Christ as Savior. That's a position of fear. The Bible says that perfect love, the love of Christ, cast out all fear. It has to begin in gratitude. Do you see that? If you don't, I would encourage you, God, Help me to have a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is and to see it, to understand it, and to be grateful for it. Jesus Christ himself says those who have a correct understanding of him will bear an abundance, like a bumper crop abundance of fruit. I can't express this stronger anymore. It's very important. We love other people, we're told in the Bible, because why? Because he first loved us. And if we understand the love of Christ, the power of Christ begins to work in our hearts and in our souls, and we begin to go out and love people who we find very, very, very unlovely. And we need this. We need this. Okay, number one, start with gratitude. Number two, stop the flood. And what I'm speaking about here is stop the flood of emotions. You're in a conversation. You've been in one this past week. You're going to have one this week coming up. And there'll be a flood of emotions that, that happens. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Okay. Since we're talking about being frustrated with people, uh, make a fist. Make a fist, right? Don't hit anybody with it. Just make the fist. All right. If this is your brain, if your fist is your brain, the large part of your fist, like the big large part, that is your cerebral cortex. That's where all your reasoning happens. This little thumb underneath is the reactionary part. When you get emotional and you're flooded with emotion, this little part takes over. It's where flight or fight happens. You're ready to go. You're ready for self-preservation. You're not thinking about the relationship. You're thinking about what you can do for yourself and preserve yourself. You can't do that. So what we're told is, is that birds actually have a very small cerebral cortex and a large, very large um, reactionary. And so we, we call people who are so reactionary bird-brained. Bird-brained. You don't want to be a bird-brain. I don't want to be a bird-brain. So what I want to encourage you is take a step back when the emotions is hitting you. You got to walk around the block. You got to walk around the room. You got to go for a drive. Whatever you have to do, you are not going to be able to have a healthy relationship the way Christ wants all of us to have to live this out when the emotions are flooding you. You've got to get the emotion under control. So don't be a bird-brain. Stop the flood. All right? Number three, proceed with caution. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody says something and you just take it up just to just another notch and they take it up a notch, right? But what, what we're being told here is that the response should be a gentle answer, even to those things that are frustrating you so very much. Listen to this statistic. 96% of conversations that last for 15 minutes or more can be predicted by the way the first three minutes go. In other words, be careful the way you handle the first three minutes of any conversation. If you handle that well, if you get off on the right foot in that conversation in the first three minutes, the rest of the 15 minutes, you stand a really big chance that it's going to go well. I want you to think about this. If you know that you have an, a relationship with somebody at work or at home, in the neighborhood or whatever... Think, think about how you handle that conversation, what, how you begin that conversation, what you say or when you say it. Krista and I, you know, we finally learned after being married a number of years, we finally learned that we can't have those conversations. Do you know what I mean? Those conversations when we're tired, 
When it's late at night, when we're under stress, when we're like running to get somewhere, like we're in a hurry, we got to get somewhere. Oh, let's have that big conversation right now. It never goes well. I don't know about you, but it never goes well for us. We actually have to be wise. We have to show caution. Oh, you know what? <laughs> we start going down that road like, oh, time out. Let's not have that now. Can you do that? Can you throw up the caution flag and say, you know what? Maybe now is not a great time that we talk about that. You'll find it very, very beneficial. And then the last thing is this. Start with gratitude again. We began with gratitude in our relationship with God. We began with gratitude because we're so thankful for what Jesus Christ has done because that's the starting point in view of God's mercy and view of God's grace. Thank you so much. So our hearts are overwhelming, and now we must end in our relationship with other people and be grateful for them, even the people that annoy you. Now, how in the world are you going to be able to do that? Paul says in in Philippians chapter 4, and he's writing this to a group of people who he's a little frustrated with. I mean, they've got some issues going on there in in the church at Philippi. He's frustrated, but this is what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's something that is called a daily temperature reading. Lots of married couples know about this daily temperature reading. You can Google it. You'll find it. There's only five steps to it. They have actually found that marriages who are on the rocks, if they'll implement the daily temperature reading, this has been around for decades, things will get better. Things will actually get significantly better. It's five easy steps. Husbands like it because it's five easy steps. Wives like it because actually these five easy steps get you to the emotion of things. But you know where the five easy steps start with? It starts with showing appreciation. You're having a conversation with your spouse and you always begin by showing appreciation. Something to be thankful for, some type of word of affirmation. You have to begin that way before you get into the deeper conversations. Can you, can you do that? Can you look at the other person who you're having a problem with or the group of people you're having a problem with and is there anything of value that you can say, ah, I appreciate this? You know what? They might frustrate, but I appreciate this. If you can begin to approach people as Christ approached people, all kinds of people who are totally unlike Jesus and still see value in them, you have a shot at living out the Christian life as described in Romans chapter 12. Again, it is the very summary of what the Christian life should look like. This is what we are trying to do, okay? So it's going to be tough. And here's the last fill in the blank. We're just better together. We are just better together. That's why we called this message today Harmonizing Us. There's all kinds of chords. There are all kinds of notes. But when we harmonize them, when we take lemons and we turn them into something sweet like lemonade, it's hard to do. It's bitter. But we come together and we all benefit. We benefit because we're simply, simply better together. We have a great example in our own country of this. Like in the early days of our country, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were completely different people, totally different people. So John Adams was, was short and stout, right? He was very um, ab- aggressive and abrasive in his language. His favorite form of communication was argument. Over here, Thomas Jefferson was tall and slender and exceedingly polite and being very, very candid brutally honest was he felt that as an offense to him as a very person they were two opposite people did our country benefit from having people who were very opposite yes we did they are called the odd couple of the american revolution and thank god we had them 
And thank God that those two very different people came together because we're better as a result of it. And you, you might not think this, but you will be better as a person because of the result of somebody who is so different from you, who you find so annoying. Kate becomes great friends with Madison, who she finds very annoying, very annoying life. Can you do that? This week, when you get yourself in the midst of one of those conversations, can you say, there's value here? I might not see it right now, but there's value. Now, we've got, we've got popcorn here on stage for you. Turn these around. Okay? Let me tell you something about popcorn. Um, it's, uh, I'm not a big fan of popcorn, but if there's butter on the popcorn, it sure makes things better. It's not good alone. It needs some butter and some salt, right? And doesn't it make it so much better? This is what we need. We're going to be better together. Now, I tried this in the first service, and I'm going to show you what I did because it's actually embarrassing. I was going to throw these out, but I realized after I did this in the first service, they're very, very light. So uh, I'm only going to make it to Eric on the front row, okay, because they need something heavy, and I didn't want to put something. See how that? And I was trying to chuck it, and it made me look like such a wimp. So that's why all of these are up here. It's not the lack of strength in my arm. It's that there's no weight to this thing at all. But popcorn is so much better with butter on it, and it's so much better with salt on it because we actually come together, and we help each other be better. Can you do that this week? Can you look at those situations and say, there's value here somewhere. God, help me to see it. Now, we're doing, the reason this is up here is we're doing team sign-ups today. I want to summarize again one last time Romans 12. With, when you start with Jesus Christ, Romans 12, and you are grateful and you start off on the right foot and you have gratitude for what Christ has done, you're not escaping hellfire, you're not thinking about all the stuff you have to change, you're purely looking at Him, not at yourself, looking at Him, not at yourself, and you're grateful... His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, begins to inhabit your very life. And out of that gratitude, you are actually compelled. You want to. You don't have to. Like, please, sign up to serve on a team. No, you want to do that. And that's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, in view of God's mercy with all the gratitude of Christ. And then verse number 3, what does it talk about? This always confused me. But it immediately goes from being grateful in your relationship with Christ. Immediately, verse 3, it talks about serving other people. Do you know it is a proven fact that when you have that right understanding of Christ and you begin to serve people out of a want to, not a have to, that it actually leads you closer to Christ, that it, 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 it just, it like turbocharges your spiritual life. It is amazing. So we want to offer this to you today. As you leave, we've got popcorn and we've got teams to sign up for. No pressure, no pressure there, but we hope that, we hope that you will want to. Now, here's what I want to talk about next week. What is the one thing that you need that makes you feel like you're home? What is that one thing that you need in your life that makes you feel like you're home? That's what we're focused on next week. We please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, your word is really challenging. And I hope that many of us in this room, that this next week as we get ourselves in those conversations that are very difficult with those people that are very difficult, that maybe you will remind us, Holy Spirit, to simply say, there's value here and that you would give us strength to live out the life that you've called us to in Christ's name. Amen.